you have to have a unrealistic belief of yourself. Welcome to Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World, a podcast focused on reimagining how we define success. Co-hosted by myself, Monty Bernard, and CEO of Expensify, David Barrett. In this episode, we sit down with the starting shooting guard of the Portland Trailblazers, CJ McCollum, to discuss how perseverance on the court led him to his philanthropic efforts with the Portland Boys and Girls Club, his burgeoning wine business, and defying expectations from a small town. Set it up nicely for all the, the Zoom calls the last year. Yeah, I think it's been funny looking at, um, uh, I think it was like Obama's background was like, or basically his desk, just like super shitty. And it's just like, really? <laughs> and, and like an Oprah, like this really awful looking office is like, hmm. Now I think everyone's like up their game when it comes to like, okay, I need to make sure that it looks, as co- looks cool. I, I like that. I like that where it's like, I'm not really focused on the fashion of it. I'm focused on getting shit done, you know? And like, I don't care what my office looks like. I got to just sit here and work. CJ, my name is Monty. This is David. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. How's your day going so far? It's going well, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, totally. We wanted to talk about uh, a number of different topics today. Uh, obviously, shine a light on you, what you're doing now, what you've done in the past, and what you're looking to do uh, in the upcoming months and years. Uh, we want to talk to you, to you a bit about your your wine dabbling in the industry as a connoisseur, as a fellow fan of wine. I know David is also uh, quite the... Uh, oh, you got one <laughs> oh, right there. Oh, there it is. You got a nice magnum. That's Stay good. Ready. Stay ready. You got to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners out there, CJ has a bottle about twice the size of him he just lifted up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you said you, you have your own wine label. Where's your region? Where, where is it produced? Yeah. So I partnered up with uh, Adelson. Oh. Um, not too far from here um depending on what part of Oregon you live in it's it's a a great location and we basically you know we we began our relationship in 2016 I believe kind of figuring out ways we could work together in 2017 I went on the property and kind of walked around and and sat down with them to kind of figure out what type of collaborative efforts we put together and you you fast forward to you know 2021 and we've already put out a, um, a 2000 18 Pinot Noir uh, from mm-hmm. three different parts of the vineyard. I'm trying not to get too far ahead because we've been doing so much <laughs> lately. So I'm like 18. We have uh, we have a lot of stuff in the works as well that we're we're excited about. But it's it's been it's been great, and I've been able to learn a lot. And living in Oregon, um, besides you know obviously playing for the Portland Trailblazers, it gave me an opportunity to learn about um, well the wine industry in general and mm-hmm. the gold mines that are out here that I wasn't aware of before I got here. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a real treasure out here. Uh, what sort of wine regions around the world are you kind of emulating? Are, is there a particular style you're going for? Yeah, just based on some of my experiences, um, you know, having started drinking wine about eight years ago, call it eight, nine years ago, into my college career, <laughs> I was I was fortunate enough to, to be here and to, to taste. The first wine I ever had was uh, Walter Scott. It was a volcanic soil, Bryant Creek. So the the wine I actually put out, ironically, um, one of the one of the places we picked was from Bryant Creek. Uh, it was volcanic soil, three different parts of the vineyard, and I just kind of, based on like those those moments, you know, kind of kind of going back to eight nine years ago when I first tasted Oregon wine, I wanted to kind of replicate that something smooth, something with uh, fruit forward, something that was relatable to people who are in the wine and people who would just be experiencing it for the first time. I think that was more so the goal. And I have a lot of family who prefer uh, other drinks, stronger <laughs> drinks and, and beer. So I wanted it to be like their their gateway drink to wine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something that's smooth, something that's not too too fruit forward, but gives you a well-balanced ba- a, a well understanding of 
wine that you can drink with some or wine that you can eat with something and wine you can drink on its own. I think if you haven't had the wine, we have uh, our 19, our 19 will be releasing in the fall. Uh, I, I believe great things happen in September because that's when I was born. So all, all of my Pinots will release in September going forward until, until uh, further notice. That's great. Are you uh, going to do any Chardonnays? I think the everyone knows about the uh, Pinot and the Oregons, but I think the Oregon Chardonnays are just incredible. Yeah, and it's funny. You asked me that. A lot of people have asked about white wines and things of that nature. And full disclosure, when I first started drinking wine, it was red only, and then I could do bubbly. So like, uh -huh. those are my two like comfort okay. zones. So Pinot was the first thing that I was introduced to, the first thing I was most comfortable with. So we started with that. But I've actually been tasting around Chardonnays and rosés and, and all those things to really learn about it first before I put it out because I want to really be comfortable with it. I want to be able to explain to my parents why they should drink it. I want to be able to kind of, you know, go through that process of I've had it with these types of foods. I like it with this. So my, my wife and I have actually been drinking a lot more whites lately, pairing it with a lot of seafoods. Um, sometimes we <laughs> we do it with steaks and, and, and things of that right. nature just because I believe you can drink, you know, any type of wine with any type of food. It's just more so getting comfortable and figuring out like what that balance is. But needless to say, some things are in the works. Some things are in the works. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. So maybe kind of going back a bit. So now you're like a, a, a wine magnate, uh, but you didn't start out that way. And so you're from Ohio, is that right? Yeah, Canton, Ohio. That's cool. So I'm from Michigan. All my family's from Ohio as well, but I've never been to Canton. What's that town like? You're not missing out on much, but I will say, OH, <laughs> I, yo, as a Buckeye, you know, I didn't go to the Ohio State, but got a lot of love for my Buckeyes and having hearing someone from Michigan understand the dominance we've had over them for years. But Canton is a, is a very, very small place, about 70 to 75,000 people, uh, blue, blue collar, hard work, and, you know, basically the staple of the Midwest in terms of, you know, having steel mills. My, my dad worked in a steel mill for over 30 years. My mom was an insurance agent and had her own book of business. Um, as a tax auditor for 16 years. So hmm. I grew up in a working class home. Um, sports was more of an outlet. It was an escape. It was a way to kind of, you know, stay away from the distractions that kind of come with you know, living in the inner city. But it's a very small place. We got the Football Hall of Fame. So I was exposed to football right away. Not a lot of wine out there, uh, more more <laughs> beer drinkers, uh, you know, tailgating, Cleveland Browns game, things of that nature. But uh, I'm thankful to grow up in a small place like that. You, you have a, a better understanding of of how to kind of work for, you know, what you want when you grow up in that, in that working class environment where it's, it's blue collar. Growing up, our, our parents used to always tell us, you know, you need to either get really good grades or be good in sports because we can't afford to pay for your college. So that was our mentality. Get good grades, be good at sports. And then, and understanding that um, scholarships were an opportunity or a possibility for us, we just really worked. My brother and I, we worked every day. We got up early, got to the gym, you know, focused on creating creating space, creating shots, ball handling. And then we also focused in the classroom because we knew, like, you know, you always need a backup plan. And thankfully, I was able to get a scholarship to Lehigh University. It, it, it's funny. I didn't start uh, varsity until my junior year, my first career start. I scored 54 points and broke the school record. Damn. And I was I was 5'11 at that point, so I felt, <laughs> I felt very tall. <laughs> needless to say, I ended up growing. I ended up playing for play for LeBron James AU team, King James. I grew up 15 minutes from where he grew up at. So I got to beat him pretty early on in life. And hmm. I just see that it's possible to make it uh, where we come from. Um, Eric Snow, 
was also another guy who, you know, put on kids camps and I kind of looked up to him and his ability to lead people and give back to the community. Keith McLeod, another guy who grew up in our area, um, went on to, to be drafted to the NBA. And uh, my teammate, my high school teammate, goes to Kufis, um, has played in the NBA for over 10 years, was the first round pick um, out of Ohio State and also my high school teammate. So I was around a lot of players who played, uh, a lot of players who um, did, did the right things in the community, worked, worked hard and did things the right way and tried to emulate you know, their success. So speaking of working hard, like to what degree do you attribute your success to just putting in the hours versus like, you know, kind of natural gift? Like there's that whole concept from Malcolm Gladwell, like, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything. Yeah. And how many hours do you put into it? I, I mean, I've definitely gone over 10,000 hours at this point, for sure. <laughs> and I, I love all Malcolm Gladwell's books, uh, by the way. Um, but I think it's a combination of things, man. Um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer um, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first and foremost. So I think God has definitely played a part in giving me some God-given talent and, you know, kind of allowing me to, to go right when I could have went left a lot of different times. I think that that has definitely played a role, but I also think you have to work for anything you want in life. Uh, people, a lot of times just wait on things to kind of happen. You have to make it happen. You have to be aggressive and you have to, you have to have a unrealistic belief of yourself. I think that's that's really, really important for this because a lot of people will discourage you. They'll tell you things aren't possible. They'll give you the statistics on like why it can't work, why it won't work. Your own family members will probably tell you that you're wasting your time, but you have to really believe in yourself and dedicate yourself to things and work hard and work smart. Like understand that some of the things we want to accomplish in life are definitely hard. So you may need to have a backup plan, but you can really focus your energy. Like, like what we did, we focused our energy on it. And we always used to say basketball is my plan A and my plan B. I'm going to use basketball to get an education. You know what I mean? I'm going to use basketball to meet people. I'm going to use that work ethic to kind of take my life and my game to the next level. And I think we outworked everybody. And, and I still outwork a lot of people to this day because I think that's the only way to truly be successful and to be comfortable and to not worry. When you prepared and you work hard, you don't really worry about things. You just kind of show up for work because you already know that you've done all you need to do. Mm, I like that idea. Yeah, I think the uh, the importance of putting in the time can't be overstated. Like I, um, One thing internally we do is we track our hours, just uh, with this idea being that you know, you're always going to make more money, you're never going to make more time. And so time is the real scarce resource that you need to track carefully. And so I think that uh, I think I'm about 33,000 hours into Expensify so far. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think... Uh, people recognizing this, like, you just got to show up. And then I like how you put it also, if you've done the preparation, then showing up's easy because it's like you, you've got the benefit of all the hard work that went before you showed up as well. Yeah. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready, right? No. It's really important. Like my dad, I talk, I talk to my parents like every other day. So I call my dad and my mom on my way to every game. And my dad will always asks me, like, if you're ready, I'm like, Dad, like, I'm a professional. Like, what do you mean if I'm ready? Like, I've been doing this since I was four years old. And now I get paid to do this. So it's like, I know what I need to do to get ready for the games. I just show up. And, like, people were like, what do you mean? It's like, I work so hard every day, like, all day long. I eat right. I sleep right. I see my PT. I get my extra reps in. I do everything I can so that I just have to show up. And I'm sure you feel the same way. With, with what you're doing now, 32,000 hours in, you're like, I really know what I'm doing. At this point. <laughs> He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Trust me. <laughs> if you need to know something about expense reports in a foreign jurisdiction, I'm your guy. Um, so uh, going into, okay, so throughout Lehigh, a uh, degree in journalism, um, and I'd be curious, so like at what point did you 
like, do you ever struggle with like this imposter's dilemma where like kind of obviously you had talent you knew in college that it's like you know it seems like a foregone conclusion where you're gonna go but did you have any doubts oh yeah i almost quit basketball a couple times oh wow. so like it, the breaking point comes it comes it hits everybody there's the self-doubt there's the maybe i should focus on my academics you know what i mean like the, those things all kind of cross my mind as i'm training i i had i had a lot of success early i was five foot two i was playing junior varsity averaging 20 points a game in three quarters. And then I would play varsity. My brother was a starting point guard. So I basically backed him up. Some games I played, some games I didn't. My sophomore year, I was supposed to take the jump and they ended up, they promised me I was going to start. And then they ended up starting this other kid. Long story short, um, the the kids, parents were on the booster club, gave a lot of money, whatever, whatever. So he would start the games and then I would come in like three minutes into the game. But it messed, it messed me up mentally, you know what I mean? Because I felt like I was supposed to be a starter. I was supposed to be this. Like, I was supposed to really kind of solidify who I was within that program so I could get a scholarship. And I only averaged six points per game my sophomore year of high school. I had no scholarship offers. But I had, like, a, you know, a, a, a come to Jesus moment where it was like I prayed every day. And I was like, if this is what I'm supposed to do, like, let me know. I sat on my brother. I was like, what do I have to do? Um to play well next season. He was like, well, we need to get up at six o'clock every morning. Like, he's already in college, you know, all American at a division two NAI school. So like he has the blueprint on success and, mm. and how to work. So I set my alarm and my alarm wasn't a, a regular alarm. It was me talking. So I, I recorded a voice memo saying like all the things I want to accomplish this season, what I would accomplish. And it was like, you will average 20 points per game. You will get a scholarship. You will do this. You will do that. I will outwork everybody like that. And it was just me like, giving myself positive affirmations every morning at six o'clock wow. and we would work out. We would run the stairs. We would lift. We would get up a thousand shots a day. So I did that for the full summer. I grew to five eleven, And before my first game, I asked my brother, I said, how many points do you think I'm going to average this year? And he was like, if you average 20, you'll be all state. I said, well, what if I average 25? He was like, you'll have some scholarships before the season's over. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm average 25. <laughs> and he just laughed. And he's like, I think you'll average 21 to 23. Like in that range, depending on how aggressive you are, but he knew that was going to piss me off. <laughs> dad came over to the house before my first game and he was like, you ready? It's like, yeah, I'm ready. He's like, all right. He's like, you gonna have to show me something. I said, I'm going to score 50 tonight. My career high is 18 going into this game for the record. And um, I had 39 at halftime. Damn, CJ. And I looked up at him and I said, I told you I was ready. And I broke the school record. That's how, that's how leading up to me breaking the school record happened. It's funny because after that game, Lehigh sends me a letter. The guy who ended up recruiting me was on like Ohio, scoutingohio.com and was just researching and seeing like a kid score 54. So he sends me a letter. I had never heard of Lehigh in my life. I get the letter. And I'm like, Lehigh, what is that? Research it and look it up. I'm like, oh, it's a division one school. It's in the Patriot League, whatever, 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 whatever. Long story short, they're this, they end up being the second school to offer me. And I end up going to Lehigh because of their loyalty and what I felt like we could accomplish together. Huh, that's amazing. So, and actually, and even after uh, you finished your degree, uh, even after it's clear that you were actually on the way to NBA. So why did you, that must've turned some heads. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I never really liked school. Honestly, I tell people all the time, like I didn't understand the importance of school. I used it as a means to an end. Like I knew that that's how I was going to get a job one day. 
And that's kind of how I approached it. And then once I got to college, I started to like it. It was weird. I started studying and I got results. Things started going well for me. I made the dean's list. I started doing things the right way after failing miserably uh, my first few weeks of school. And it, this, the switch kind of went on. All right, this is this is serious. You're, you're, you're having someone pay for your education. You're on a full ride scholarship, like really take advantage of it. And I think that's what really kind of got me ready um, for, for life after basketball. Like I broke my foot my senior year. I, I declared for the draft after my third year. And I told my mom, I said, if I go pro, I'm not going to go back to school. And she was like, you sure? I said, I'm not going to be able to go back once I leave. So I have to stay and finish. And I ended up going back to school. And the day I broke my foot, I was thinking, man, I turned down all this money to come back to school only to get injured. Like, why, like, why did, why do things like this happen to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? And luckily I ended up getting over, but it was the best decision I made by far to go back to school. I'm thankful for the injury. I'm thankful for everything because I was able to get my degree and I was able to spend more time with my now wife. So it, it worked out for me. Yeah. And, uh, and so as you're going into the draft, did you, like, how's that work? Do you actually, is it a surprise or do you pretty much know it's going to happen ahead of time? Dame ended up reaching out to me when I got hurt and he had, he had the same fracture as me and we became friends and he was telling me that he's like, yo, you're on the draft boards. I go into the office all the time. Like you're going to be a, a lottery pick. I'm like, what? So I keep like going through my rehab and I was like leading the country and scoring until I broke my foot. But I'm like, I just got injured. He's like, well, no, it's, it, you'll be okay. Like the type of injury you have, whatever, whatever. I work out for the Blazers. I sit down with Neil. I sit down with Terry, our organization. They love me. Like we think we compare you with Dame, like you guys would be great backcourt. I'm like, all right, I got a chance that I might go 10. Whoever drafts me, drafts me. Like I'm I'm prepared. And everybody was nervous and stuff. And I'm just like, this is what we've been waiting for our whole life. Like I've been trying to make it to the NBA my whole life. I'm just gonna enjoy this day. And if I gotta go somewhere I've never been before, perfect. Yeah. And sure enough, I get drafted to a place I had never been before besides the workout, the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been quite a career since then as well. But in addition to that, it sounds like I'm impressed with how much you have going on the side. Like what there's like CJ's Press Pass, there's Remaking America and their wine label and other stuff. So Boys and Girls Club, so much, so much killer philanthropy as yeah, well. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And so I, I, be, uh, I imagine that's not the, the normal path for an NBA player. And uh, I'd be curious, like what, you know, what encouraged you to do all of this now versus waiting? I've always just tried to be proactive. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Understand that I took an un uh, unconventional path, going to a small school, being small, not having a lot of scholarship offers, being hurt early on in my career gave me time to kind of really evaluate things, you know, like how I want my life to be. How do I, how do I want to give back strategically? Where do I want to give back to? And how it's very important for me to have healthy hobbies outside of basketball. I've always tried to have healthy hobbies from yoga. I think eating is a healthy hobby if you eat right. Love it. <laughs> I love to eat. <laughs> Best Do those hobby. types of things. <laughs> exactly. So those are those are things I try to do while while being able to kind of impact the next generation. I think the Boys and Girls Club has always been a part of my life um, since I was a kid. My mom and my mom and dad used to take us there. We work out there. It was a safe space for us. And I wanted to make sure I gave back and kind of provided them with, with different things that they may not have normally been exposed to. And I've been able to do that, been able to build in the multiple dream centers. We had another one in the works, um, but COVID kind of no halted some of those plans. But I look forward to kind of resuming those activities. Uh, journalism, as I've told you before, is a passion of mine. I enjoy talking. I enjoy 
everything that goes into storytelling. And I think being able to give kids an outlet and really show them like what journalism is like, all phases of it was important to me. And that's why I created CJ's Press Pass, um, giving, giving kids an opportunity to receive mentorship. Um, they were able to do certain things, cover games, local um, games and, and be paid for it, receive compensation, which is great in the journalism world because it's hard to make money at times. Yeah, Especially as a 14 year old, I've been able to create a, create a situation <laughs> where um, they're able to receive help on homework. They're able to receive, you know, free counseling and, and be able to kind of go through, you know, some of the things that you don't necessarily have, especially in inner city. And then in terms of um, the wine and just holiday events and just giving back, you know, my mom always told me, remember where you come from and what you come from. So we always go back to our hometown from the turkey giveaways to uh, philanthropy, just giving uh, to the community, to, to providing meals, and doing all those things is extremely important to us. And during COVID, having you know family that work in healthcare, my wife being a dentist, her dad being a dentist, her mom's a dietitian, I felt like it was important to give back, um, and that's what we've done from from day one to the frontline workers to to things that mean something to us. And the wine is—I never would have thought I would have a wine, um, honestly, just because of where I come from. But my wife introduced me to it. And as I continued to kind of pursue her and as I continued to kind of evolve as a man, I enjoy, I started to enjoy wine. Uh, for one, I realized I don't get hangovers from it, which is important. <laughs> <It's> important. <laughs> for, two, <laughs> for two, they said red wine was good for the heart. So it was just it was just uh, something that you know, I, I continued to want to learn more about. It was a challenge. Uh, it's like it's like basketball. There's so many, there's so many parts to it. You have to work hard to learn more about it. And people that are passionate about wine can talk about it forever and I can talk forever. So it was just like a match made in heaven when I would go to vineyards <laughs> and they learn about it. So um, though I'm really just excited about what I have going on in life, especially what I have going on outside of basketball, because basketball is my life has been a huge part of me, but what I, what I leave kind of behind um, as a staple will be so much more than that. Yeah. And so as an active journalist, you know, talk about like remaking America. Like what went into the idea of starting that and how has that gone so far? Yeah. So as you know, I had the podcast pull up, pull up podcast and mm -hmm. I've done it. I've done over a hundred episodes. We took a break and we'll be starting back up next month, but I want to do something that wasn't sports centric. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always done things centered around sports. I've done interviews, I've done storytelling, I've done mindfulness training, the importance of meditation and overall health and well-being. But I've never focused on some of the issues that we have going on in America. And obviously with, with COVID happening, uh, with the season shutting down, um, we kind of wanted to figure out something that was more unique, more different, and, and kind of detach myself from sports for a little bit and kind of step into a new realm. And I had always done like audio podcasts, but I was like, I've never really done anything video. And I was like, how do we kind of put something together that focuses on America, focus on the issues in America, brings together people that can kind of collectively figure out ways we can impact change, you know, whether that's bringing on healthcare workers, bringing on politicians, bringing on people who work in education to kind of figure out how we can fix certain issues. I think that's how it really came about. Um, we genuinely, you know, care about this country. We genuinely care about the direction it's heading. As, as someone who's going to have kids one day, I want this world to be better for them than it was for me. And I think that's what Remaking America is about. It's about strategic ways to help uplift each other and help uplift our country. And I think we're heading in the right direction. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, we've been curating uh, content. We've been figuring out, you know, our run of show, figuring out potential guests. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how we're able to put everything together. But 
the topics will include education, healthcare, criminal justice, and we'll focus on, you know, some historical events as, as well as some recent events uh, that have gone about from voting to, to the healthcare system in general. Um, and as a, as a guy who believes in journalism and put education reform in New Jersey, I'm really looking forward to learning more about education and how we can make it better. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I'd be, t- I'd be curious, what advice would you give to, you know, the Biden and Harris administration going forward for like, how do we repair the damage of the last administration? No, that's, that's a great point. And having spoke to, to uh, Vice President um, Kamala, we, we were able to, to really focus on the root of some of the issues that we've seen growing up in the inner city. I think if you, if you look at what we, what we discussed, uh, healthcare was huge. You know, understanding the importance of healthcare, especially during the pandemic, how it's managed, how, how we can you know, better position our elderly, how we can better position people who are um, more likely to be exposed based on what they do for a living. I think those are, those are real issues right now. I think education, as Donovan Mitchell pointed out on the show, uh, his mother's a third grade teacher. You know, seeing some of the resources a lot of these schools have or lack thereof is extremely important. And one of the things I've done working with SMART, which is Start Making a Reader Today, is focused on the process of kids from K to third grade. You're basically learning how to read up until third grade. And then after third grade, you learn how to process what you're reading. But a lot of times kids don't fully learn how to read and then they're lost and they're, they're just kind of left behind from third grade on. And that's why we have so many kids um, now this day and age that don't know how to read and aren't, aren't properly prepared uh, to go into the real world and are actually illiterate. So I think some of those things that we discussed are more top, topical for now. And then there's more topics that are centered around how we can kind of help this world evolve. But I think for us, I don't know a lot about politics. I don't know a lot about you know, things that I need to improve, but I know what I've seen, you know, growing up and where, I, where I've come from. And I think for us, equality is huge. Voting rights is huge. Being able to, to prevent people from, from being taken advantage of with the voting system. So I think that's mm-hmm. extremely important. You look at some of the areas in the South where they're, they're having polling stations. Um, maybe there's two polling stations for 2 million people. Like that doesn't make any sense. You know, the fact yeah. that people have to go to work, um, vote, vote, the, the day, the, the election day should be a national holiday. Absolutely. Like you should have to go to work that day. Like little things like that to make the world a better place and make it easier for us to, um, express our, our rights. I think those are things that we, we discussed. I mean, I could write a, I could write a book about things we need to improve on in America. I'm sure you could too. But I think for me, I've just focused on education. I focused on voting. I focused on healthcare and then criminal justice is, is a huge one because as we've seen, a lot of people are committing some of the similar crimes and not getting similar time. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of systemic issues that stem that stem way, way back and, and those things that need to be changed because the world has evolved and the world has changed. Looking at recreational marijuana, all those things that are more acceptable to the public eye now compared to what they were back in the day. Um, new new times call for, calls for new rules. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the uh, sort of a level of control that social media has? No, I that's a great question. And I think there, there has to be a balance, right? We have a First Amendment right, you know, freedom of speech, uh, right to express ourselves. But I think there has to be some type of control when it comes to misinformation. I think that's extremely important that we, we kind of tighten up what's being spread because as we've seen, the internet is a, it's a wild place with a lot of wild minds and interesting uh, takes on certain topics and issues. But when 
false information is spread, bad things can happen. I think that's that's what we've kind of learned over the years. I think it's one thing to control a message. It's, it's another thing to kind of prevent the wrong things from being spread, especially when it, when it can lead to you know, kind of what we've seen, you know, happen lately in terms of some of the hatred and some of the the Capitol building, like all those type of things that have happened lately. I think it's a, it's a combination of a lot of bad things being spread around. I think the misinformation thing is extremely important. I think to a certain extent that should be controlled. You shouldn't be allowed to just blatantly lie about things and be able to convince people that it's true. But if it's someone's expressing their own thoughts and opinions, I think that's fine. But when you kind of cross that line of right or wrong, that's like me saying, me going on Twitter, like Terry Stotts has quit the team. <laughs> and then people <laughs> see me tweet that, right? And they're like, Terry quit the Blazers. And then that just goes and it's 10,000, 20,000 and it's, it's misinformation. And it's just, it's, it's not practical. You know what I mean? I think that's, that's abusing it. And I would feel like they should shut me down. Or someone says I got traded, but I didn't get traded. And then they like, Woj tweets CJ McCollum was traded, <laughs> but I don't really trade. Like that's a problem. You know what I mean? Like that can really kind of create like a, a bad narrative. It can kind of rub people the wrong way. So I think there's a way in which they should use their control to a certain extent, but it's, it's, it's a tough balance because like you, like you point out, like it's one thing to like remove someone's tweet. It's another thing to say, you can't talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's tough, but it's also a part of signing up for someone else's platform. Like, I'll never read what's what's in the in the in the fine writing before I click that X to, to join a social media platform. But I imagine they say they stipulate like do's and don'ts on what you can and can't do. So it'd be interesting to kind of see what actually what, what I'm actually agreeing to. That's probably why I can talk about the Bahamas and then I get an email about going to the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the, the, the spooky next level terms of service that'll, that'll sell you any and everything you want. You, you hit the nail on the head there with those, I think the three variables that really kind of make that up, right? Where you can't say slanderous or libelous things about your, your teammates, about other people you work with, about anybody in the world. We have those protections. Secondly, you're right. It is a private company. They have a terms of service that whether we read the 3,000 pages <laughs> of fine print, you still say, yes, I agree to that. Uh, and, and lastly, David made a great point recently in one of our newsletters out to our users is that inciting you know, violent behavior, inciting uh, actions that can hurt others. If someone is yelling fire in a crowded theater, you can kick them the hell out and arrest them because that is, again, an act of violence. So it kind of straddles those three lines where we come out of this where we get to it who knows i don't know the answer i don't think any of us here <laughs> know the answer unfortunately but uh, long-form discussions like this hopefully we can get to the bottom of it find a kernel of truth there wanted to touch on one last thing we like to talk about on the podcast the name of the podcast is live rich have fun save the world Three very, you know, uh, amorphous ideas, uh, but at Expensify internally, we measure our personal and professional success by whether we're having fun, whether we feel that we're living rich, and how we feel that we're contributing to saving the world. And we always like to ask our guests here, those three concepts, what do those three things mean to you? Living rich, having fun, and saving the world. That's a, that's a great way to end it. I'll start with save the world. I think that we all have a responsibility. I mentioned it before to leave this world better than we found it and to leave it better for the future generations, especially we should all selfishly want our children to live in a better place. They should, they should grow up better than we did. They should experience a lot of things that we weren't able to experience and we should be able to hopefully steer them into that, in that right direction. So I think 
save in terms of save the world, I'm trying to do my part um, and giving back to the community and figuring out ways to kind of impact. I recycle. I try to do like certain little things that I know are going to help this world become a better place. Even strategically figuring out who I was going to partner with from a wine standpoint. I partnered with a, with a, a vineyard that believes in sustainability. They believe on uh, practicing and doing things the right way to kind of protect our environment, protect the land that we're uh, trying to trying to get grapes from. So I think saving the world is extremely important. Having fun is something that I've expressed uh, to my family members, to my teammates, um, to my wife. I think it's important that we have fun and really enjoy life, doing things that make you happy. As you said before, you can always make more money, but you can't create more time. So figuring out how to kind of balance, you know, doing certain things. You know, do you enjoy your job? And that's, a, that's an important part of life. You need to be able to provide, but you also need to be able to do something that you're happy about, that you're excited about. Are you giving yourself time? You know, whether that's walking your dog, whether that's meditating, whether that's giving yourself an hour to just kind of be free, watch a TV show that makes you laugh. Um, doing those types of things, I think is extremely important. And I've always tried to, to center my life around family, love and fun. I think if you're doing those things, um, you're, you're making the world a better place. You're making your overall quality of life better. And people will enjoy being around you because you're always usually positive when you're having fun. <laughs> In terms of living rich, I think living rich goes in line with with doing things the right way and having fun. When I say I live a rich life, I'm not talking about money. I'm just doing everything to the best of my ability. Uh, I try to be the best dog dad I can be. I try to be the best <laughs> husband I can be. I try to be the best teammate, best friend. I think people that generally know me know that I'm, I'm a person who will go above and beyond um, to do things the right way. I'll go above and beyond to, to show you that I care if I care. And if I don't care, you'll know that I don't care. I think I'm extremely rich in, 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 in those measures to where I'm blunt, I'm honest, I'm firm. And I think from a, from a positivity standpoint, I generally have great vibes. Even though I'm hurt right now, I'm upbeat. I'm in a, I'm in a good sense of uh, mind frame and, I'm, and I've found my peace. So I say living rich includes having fun, doing things the right way, treating people with respect and finding your peace. Um, I think that's, that's one of the things that I've preached to my family. It's like, so you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the, the accessories in the world. But if you're not at peace with yourself, if you're not at peace with your journey, at peace with what you want to accomplish in life, you'll never truly live rich. You'll never truly have fun. And you'll never truly change the world. So that's my way to kind of bring that together for you guys. Beautifully, beautifully stated. CJ, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you, guys. You guys have a great one. Thanks. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World is brought to you by Expensify. Hosted by David Barrett and Monty Bernard. Engineered and produced by Monty Bernard. Theme song by DJ Mick. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Live Rich, Have Fun, Save the World on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you happen to be listening. Head to Expensify.com to sign up for a free trial and see just how easy it is to automate your entire pre-accounting process. Expensify. Easy money.